Less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm going to get right to it. First of all, if you have any questions about today's podcast, if you want to know anything about Libertarian Party of Georgia, if you find anything interesting, entertaining, um, if you want to help out, if you want to join LP Georgia or just the Libertarian Party, please go to lpgeorgia.com or um, I believe it's lp.org for the national. Um, But today we're going to jump right in. We have our first ever presidential candidate on the Free Georgia podcast, Mr. Mike Termott. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Jake. It's a, a real pleasure to be with you. You look like you're having a good summer there. I hope the rest of your Georgian community as well. Well, this summer I'm in uh, I'm in Montana, so I can't say much for my for my Georgian brethren. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is uh, that is outstanding. Well, have a good time. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, Mike, uh, I like to kind of treat people like they have no idea who you are, um, at, least to, <laughs> at least to start out. Well, some of your viewers, uh, for, for some of them, it may be true. And for others, they, they may uh, know, know more than they wish they did already, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, can you tell us um, like how it is you became part of the Libertarian Party and why you're running for, for president? You bet. Uh, those are uh, two fairly different questions, so we better take uh, one at a time. Yeah. Uh, I became a libertarian uh, coming from what I would characterize the right-hand side. I grew up as, uh, as a Republican. I was in banking, uh, and then I became uh, an economist. I went to grad school at a very free market-oriented program at the George Washington University in, in Washington, D.C., after working for a couple of different banks. Uh, which came after business school, which came after engineering school. Uh, so I got lucky in the sense that the program that I sought out did fill my uh, expectations and, and hopes for a, a, a very uh, free market oriented program. It was in Washington, which is where I wanted to be uh, as a young uh, 28, 29 year old conservative, fiscally conservative economist. I figured you know, you want to make the world a better place. You go to Washington, spread a little fiscal conservatism. Uh, Washington being the seat of all power, that should work out. We should be able to make uh, Washington work better and the United States economy would work better and beer would taste better and everything, you know, colors would be brighter and everything is going to work out just just swell. And of course, that's not what happens, is it? Um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anyone who spent any time in Washington knows it's a it's a, a very frustrating experience. Best intentions notwithstanding. Mm. I uh, had a good experience. Go ahead. Sorry, just a quick question. Yeah. What what kind of like frustrations like what what's the atmosphere as far as like living there full time? Being in the swamp, uh, mm-hmm. sw- actually swimming in the swamp instead of just observing it. Uh, it is an interesting place. Uh, everything is about relationships. It's not really about trying to make the world a better place. And I should hasten to add that there are many, many, many uh, 
individuals who are well-meaning, who really, who really do want to do right by the American people, as misguided as so many of them may appear to be from uh, our perspective, certainly, it is, it is true that the bureaucracy of the federal government of the United States is largely left-wing leaning. They are mostly Democrats, whether registered as such or not. They do believe in statism. They, they do believe in expanding the size and scope of the government. And of course, that dovetails with a, a lot of their personal interests. You know, they, mm. uh, many of them become employees of the state because they believe in, in the, the project that the state government uh, represents. And by that, I mean the federal government. So that's not a complete coincidence, but it is uh, frustrating. I was a civil servant myself. I worked uh, in, in the White House for a couple of years in the Office of Management and Budget under the George Herbert Walker Bush administration. That's going mm-hmm. back some time, right? 90, 91, 92 in there. And this was a guy who, uh, you know, I thought was a Republican. I thought he was fiscally conservative. I bought it hook, line and sinker when he said, read my lips, no new taxes. Right. Mm. And when he went back on that, it it uh, it hurt a little bit. You know, yeah. when it's inside of what you consider the family, it stings a little more. Right. It's not just some uh, fool outside of the circle of trust. You know, right. Don't expect that from someone who you kind of thought was was a leader in in terms of at least fiscal conservatism. And and that was, I think, the beginning of an awakening for me that truly politicians are in it for the expansion of their own power, not necessarily to pursue any particular agenda. I truly believe that for the most part, maybe 100 uh, percent, politicians are not leaders politicians are followers. And when you see that in action, it can be uncomfortable, but it does fit with that model more than it fits with the idea that politicians are actually leaders. It's rare that a politician will champion an idea. Typically speaking, politicians follow where it is that they believe that the, the people who can vote them into power in the case of a democracy, uh, you know, where, where their heads are going. So I spent the, the 90s trying to figure that out. Uh, I became a free market advocate in the banking industry for many, many years. Um, I then, uh, with a buddy of mine, launched our own business. We were in strategic consulting and the education of the banking and financial services community. Did that for quite a few years. And then as a uh, second career, now we're up to 2010, as a second <laughs> career, uh, I went to work as a police officer. I was uh, in the academy in 2010. I turned 49 in the academy. I worked as a cop for 11 and a half years in, in Broward County, Florida, until about a year and a half ago or so, almost two years ago now. And that was a very interesting experience. I registered as a libertarian. I joined the party at around the time I became a police officer, around 2010. <laughs> I had been accused of being a libertarian back in the 90s. Uh, a good, a I, love, good, I love that that's an accusation. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. A, a good Republican buddy of mine, uh, Russ, who uh, maybe is watching, uh, told me in the, I want to say the late 90s, he says, you're a libertarian. And I remember saying, 
uh, I'll get the quote wrong, but in effect, what I said to him was, yeah, I don't say mean things to you. Why would you say such a horrible thing to me? Right. <laughs> uh, he uh, introduced me to the idea that I was a libertarian. Mm. He had always felt like he was a libertarian. He remains a registered Republican. But I, I made the switch. And it, it wasn't until the 2000s, I would say, that I came to a real earnest appreciation of what I would call the left-hand side of libertarianism, coming to it from, from the left. Maybe you call it the blue side. I don't think I would call it blue because I don't think it identifies with the Democratic Party. But the what I would call the ethical side, the side that says the government's role is merely to protect your individual rights and liberties, irrespective of whether that is the efficient way to run an economy. In other words, the right-hand side says, let people make decisions for themselves. That's the best way that the world works, right? Mm -hmm. I would call the other side of it, even if it didn't, even if it weren't the way to make the world work best, it's still not ethical for the government to assume to itself control over making decisions for us. Even if our decisions sucked and it was true that the government, what this is a weird thing to say, uh, <laughs> even if our, all of our decisions sucked and the government really was smarter than us, try to wrap your brain around that, right? Even <laughs> if the government were smarter than all of us collectively, and, you know, Mises was wrong um, and we would be better off to cede all authority to the government. Even if that were true, it would still not be an ethical uh, mm. thing to do. We still uh, have free will and deserve the right to make our own decisions for ourselves. Yeah, that's such a hard point to communicate to people sometimes. I think that's one of the like hardest sticking points for people, especially coming from the left, is... Yeah. Is like, even if a person is making horrid personal decisions, you have to let them do it because to force them to do it would be an immoral thing. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, as a matter of fact, I like the way you said it. One of my favorite examples that makes my Democratic friends' heads explode is, but I, you, might, you might enjoy this one. Imagine that there were a vaccine that's perfect, Right. Uh, there are zero side effects. It it saves your life 100% of the time. And if you don't have it, you're going to die. Okay? It's a perfect vaccine and perfectly necessary. Would the government have the right to, to require you to take it? Mm. And the answer has got to be no. Yeah. It, Every it time. <laughs> it, 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 that our argument cannot be based on science. Right? Mm. It, it, indeed, it kind of um, it bothers me slightly when we argue the science, because I don't think it should matter. The science matters. Right. Vaccines matter. How well they work matters. Right. And, and by the way, how the government interacts with big pharma to produce vaccines uh, matters, uh, matters to the efficacy and especially to the distribution of information. All of that does matter. But. Uh, whether the vaccine works well or not cannot be the turning point on which we decide whether it's okay to mandate people to take a vaccine. So uh, 
I enjoy that example, but it does make some people explode inside of their heads. Yeah, it is a good example. And I, I think I, heard, I think you brought something like that up on Liberty Libations a few weeks ago. And yeah, it, I mean, it's it's like I said, it's difficult for people to make that jump. And like it's it's hard for people to not want to tell people what to do a lot of the times. Like everybody thinks that the way they're living is correct and um, like what they think is the right way to think a lot of the times. And right. what, you can't, what you can't do is base base your decision-making on solely on circumstances. Like if you're, especially when it comes to a political party, it has to be on principles and it has to be on principles that, that well will said. last forever. Uh, that is very, very well said and, and so important. And of course, in complete contrast to how any of us might, feel viscerally at the moment right i mean we all think we're pretty smart i mean i have my days when i i pretty much prove i'm not right but we all have uh, moments when we think we're pretty smart and wouldn't the world be better off if everyone would just do what i tell them to do i tell my kids that all the time right yes <laughs> and of course it's it's one thing in your household but now that my children are grown up you know my children are uh you know uh, 28 and 30 um mm. So now it's just a, a running joke for me to say it, of course. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Um, even if you do mean it. I mean, it, it's funny at the same time that you can mean it. I mean, mm. I'm not averse to people giving advice earnestly, right? Mm. Uh, it, and you should seek advice from people whom you trust. You know, I used to say in the middle of the vaccine mandate arguments, in the middle of the COVID crisis uh and and for some people it was a crisis so i really sh i shouldn't have i shouldn't have done that uh that's not fair um but in the middle of the mismanagement by our government let's put it that way hmm. i often said the reason the mandates bother me so much is because it presupposes to the government a certain intelligence that i delegate only to my wife you know, I do what she tells me to do, right? Mm. If she tells me to get a vaccine, I'll get a vaccine. If she tells me to take the garbage out, I'll take the garbage out. Uh, probably if she told me to run over my foot with a truck, I would do that, which is kind of scary. But for the government to say, you know, this is what you ought to do, just naturally that I think that that should, should concern us. No matter what, I mean, if the government said, you know, uh, you should wear clothes outdoors in the wintertime. <laughs> I mean, don't you immediately want to take your jacket off? I mean, you know, that, 100%. Should, be, that should be your reaction. No, it should be because the government's got no business telling you that. And of course, notwithstanding the fact that there are so many people in the government that do mean well and that are smart and do have good data. And probably do have good advice. I mean, all of that can be true. But people in the government have proven over and over again so frequently that they are not to be trusted. Mm. Either because of the, their hubris, either because they think that they're smarter than even that they are. That happens all the time. Or because they're not acting in our interests and they, they choose to operate in the shadows and to hide their actual motivations. Whether mm. it's blowing up a pipeline at the bottom of the Baltic Sea, which I think is awfully weird, or, uh, or, or contributing money to the development of a virus at a laboratory in Wuhan, China. Mm. 
and and now they don't want you to know all about that. And they didn't want you to know anything about that two years ago, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, they kind of just wait for it to pass, and then then when the truth comes out, no one cares anymore. <laughs> or the people who do hope. people who do care don't have any power to do anything about it. <laughs> and and that's why people like you and I wind up uh, frustrated. Yeah, we wind up frustrated and and worried. Would you agree with mm. me that? The big story from COVID, well, COVID itself was a, a huge story, so we shouldn't, I don't want to downplay that. But one of the big lessons is the implications for the future. That is not the last time we will face crises, real or imagined, mm -hmm. uh, exaggerated or downplayed. We will find, we will face crises in the future and I fear that many in the government have learned how much they can get away with. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm afraid that we have learned how difficult it is to stand up to the government. And I really fear the extent to which some people look at that whole episode and take the wrong lesson. I fear a certain number of Americans. I don't know what proportion this is. I don't have data to back this up. I'd be curious on your opinion on this. How many Americans look back at the COVID saga and mm -hmm. say, thank God for Anthony Fauci. Thank God for the advice they gave us. Thank God for mm -hmm. them telling me what to do, shutting our economy, keeping, keeping the schools closed. Thank God for all of that. I wonder how awful it would have been had the government not done that. Yeah. And and the next time we have a crisis, goodness sake, I'm going to trust him even more. Mm. I worry about that. Yeah, I don't. I definitely don't have numbers on anything like that or polling. But uh, educated guess, 30, 35 percent would. That's would a lot of people. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and that's that is frightening considering we live in well. Not not really a democracy, but what some people consider a democracy these it's days. It's democracy-ish. It's, it's democratic-ish. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you, you, Jake, you and I both know that even when democracy works well, it's not perfect. Mm, yeah. Right? I mean, even when it works well, even if the institutions themselves were populated by people who were not trying to stab you in the neck, even <laughs> if they worked as well as as you want them to, you still run the risk that majorities are going to abuse their authority and shove rules down the throats of those in the 100%. minority. 100%. So uh, I don't even know what it is we're shooting for at this point. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm convinced that while democracy is imperfect and, and from time to time sucks, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that whatever is in second place is a distant second. I'm mm. fully committed to trying to make democracy work better. I'm not trying to overthrow it with the idea that I figured out a better way. But if you have, please memo me. You have my email address. <laughs> if you're sitting on the big solution, don't hold back, buddy. Yeah, you heard it, y'all. Um, we'll, we'll blast Mike's email address out so you can send him all your crazy ideas for how government should be run. <laughs> My email address is on the website. You can go to MikeTremont.com and find the real email address and uh, reach out to me with whatever crazy ass idea you have. It, it won't be any crazier than what 
you know, my campaign team and I sit around and, and, and shoot on, you know, shoot from the hip about yeah. uh, on a weekly or certainly a monthly basis. I mean, everyone comes up with crazy ideas because we're all frustrated, mm. right? If, if you're not frustrated, then you really need to email me. Like we <laughs> really need, if you think your government is going in the right direction, we need to talk. My phone <laughs> number is on there too. Text me, I will call you back. We need to spend some minutes together if you think things are going in the right direction. I love that. that. Utterly reachable you are. That's amazing. Well, uh, it would be great if people were contacting me every uh, few minutes, but it's it's merely every day, Mm. uh, which is wonderful. People do reach out. It it is virtually every day. And it's 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 nice. I mean, you you learn. First of all, you do get some good ideas. First Mm -hmm. of all, you do get some good ideas, both substantively and communications wise. But the most important thing is you learn that you're not alone, that people really do worry about the same shit that 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 you worry, you know, that I worry about, that you worry about, um, which is awkwardly a good feeling. I mean, it it should not make us feel good that we're all sitting around commiserating and frustrated. Right. (laughs) But at least we know that there are like minded people worth fighting with. Yes. Uh, not just for, you know, I, I think that we fight for all of Americans, mm-hmm. you know, people who are the least able to stand up to our authoritarian government, people who are least aware. Mm. And the fact that they're not aware or the fact that they cannot stand up to the government means that we have to fight for them. People whom we call brothers and sisters for no other reason than the fact that they're Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. These are the people for whom we fight. But it's nice to know that there are people with whom we can fight as well. And we damn well better, because if you're waiting for a Republican or a Democrat to stand up for your rights, you're waiting for something that, in my view, is just virtually never going to happen. Yeah, it can be a pretty lonely road being a libertarian because they're they're few and far between at this point. And it's not like we were talking about this on Liberty Libations this past week, how like uh, one of our guys was at pork fest and how it was just, it's like those kind of events like that. And the great create are like a real boost to morale and kind of push you to keep going down the road um, that you're going down, even though it would be not easy to exit, but at least easy to just stop walking. Uh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Both those events are great examples. I was happy to participate in each one of them. I uh, just got back from from Port Fest. Nice. Uh, and as you know, I, I really uh, enjoyed seeing everybody at the, the Great Create. Uh, How was very, Port Fest? Very important event. Port Fest is a good event. Um, there are a lot of people worth talking to, hmm. especially those whom you, you hadn't realized before are full of good ideas. You know, people that you don't <laughs> know. Right. Right. People whose names you don't recognize, mm. uh, but people who want to chat. It's a very uh, creative experience in that, in that sense. And uh, I was surprised and pleased by the extent to which it was outside of the Libertarian Party. There are plenty of people there that are uh, not registered as Libertarians. Hmm. A lot of people not registered as Republicans or Democrats either. A lot of independents. 
do people think that there's going to be pork sold there? Is that why they show up? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that they're libertarians with a lowercase L. Okay, they're just not it. all registered with the uh, party. And you know, Jake, I believe that most Americans have a partial libertarian streak. Mm. I think most Americans recognize, and, and this is our opportunity as a party. I think most Americans recognize that our government's going the wrong direction. I think most Americans are starting to recognize that a lot of our biggest problems are the result of bad public policy. I think most Americans are beginning to realize our government is not to be trusted, mm. that politicians do things to aggrandize their own power and prestige and self-sense of worth and value to expand their own government, their own control, their own power. And, and they don't always do it in your interest, notwithstanding what they say. I think that is something that we can tap into if we do it right, that we have not been able to successfully tap into in the past. And you had asked a question earlier that I neglected to answer. You had asked why I'm in this thing. And, yeah, and that's the answer. Okay. Yeah, well, and that's the answer because we have a big opportunity, but we have to do it right. And I believe that that, uh, that right way of doing it, the successful, the winning way is to lead with a very policy forward campaign, the, the campaign that, that we have put together is based on a platform that we call the Gold New Deal, goldnewdeal.org for, for those <laughs> in your audience that are curious. It's our commitment to the most transformative ideas by, by branding it and giving its own URL, Right. What we're saying is we can't back up on this. We are committed to the most transformational ideas, even on the other side of the nomination. And I believe that that is the way to differentiate us from the Republicans and from the Democrats. I believe that's absolutely critical as a strategic matter. And for this reason, I am committed to the idea that the right strategy for both uh, getting attention, getting votes, and for spreading our message in the most libertarian, the most principled way possible is the same thing. Mm -hmm. It is being loud, being completely differentiated, leading with policy, not backing down, being completely principled. Remember that we're not shooting for 80% here, right? We're shooting for uh, 30%. Right. 37% wins in a three-way mm. race. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, you could win with 34%, but 37 virtually assures victory. That's what you're shooting. That's a home run. Mm. So this idea that we need to water down or dumb down or get rid of our principles to compromise, uh, I don't believe is the right strategy for getting votes, much less for spreading our message. I think that, that that's very important. So that's a big reason that we're in it, to spread that strategy, to push that strategy, to force the party to go in that direction. And the other reason is that I believe that we can demonstrate that the right kind of campaign is one full of credibility, that you mm. have to back up those very transformational ideas. You can't just throw them out. You can't just stand on the balcony and scream, end the Fed. You've got to be able to back it up. You've got to have you know, plans. Uh, you have to have a background in, in public service and public policy to be able to back that up. 
as as I do and as our team does. We have a very professional team already on board. We have 13 professionals. We have another uh, dozen uh, unpaid advisors on our advisory uh, team. So we have a, a big group and growing that's ready to go. Uh, we're very excited about getting to the other side of the nomination and absolutely letting loose. So this is the way we believe that you have to build a campaign. You have to be ready early and you have to be policy forward and you have to speak with credibility. Hmm. I like that. Um, so as you know, last year, the Libertarian Party kind of had a change in management, um, kind of had a switch in direction. A lot of people had been pretty upset with how things had been run and what things yep. like what campaigns had looked like, um, yep. especially presidential campaigns. Me so too. How, how? OK, perfect. How would your I mean, you mentioned kind of what the campaign would be about, but how how would it differentiate from what's yeah. been happening in the past and how would you get more attention on it than, than what we've gotten? I'm glad you connected those dots because I believe that that is the correct analysis. The mm-hmm. reason that we had a changeover was because of a movement that really grew out of disappointment with past national campaigns. If those campaigns, 2012, 2016, 2020, if those campaigns are managed differently, uh, I, I don't think the movement gains the kind of growth pattern that it did. Mm. I think that those campaigns are what really showed that we need to correct course. Mm. And, and I don't mean that to sound personal. You know, the people that ran those campaigns were smart, well-meaning, doing the best mm. job they could, trying something. Uh, it just proved not to not to work either in a strategic sense as far as gaining votes n- nor uh, in terms of spreading our message. For example, if you're out there saying I'm fiscally conservative like a Republican and socially liberal like a Democrat, I would prefer that you would stay home. Mm. I don't think that that is strategically a smart way to go in the sense that you haven't defined yourself in your own context. You've defined yourself in the context of your competition. You have not given people a reason to hang on to you. You have not given people a reason to be excited about your campaign. You haven't told us, you know, what's the why? What do you stand for? Mm-hmm. And, and this, is, this is absolutely, cr- by the way, you haven't even told people something that's true. We're, you've lied to them. We are not fiscally conservative like Republicans. Republicans haven't been fiscally conservative since. I'm going to go with the 80s, although I can I can make an argument that they weren't very fiscally conservative in the 80s. Democrats are not socially liberal. They have not been socially liberal for. I'm going to go with at least 15 years. Mm. This whole idea of beating each other into agreeing with some stated platform, that's not the way libertarians behave or think, and that's not the way that we should. Uh, I mean, look, uh, the libertarian way is that we all disagree, we fight, we punch each other in the face, and then we go have beers, right? 
Yeah. Uh, that is that is the way we do things. And it's not the way the Democratic Party does things. If you disagree with the Democratic Party's platform, they'll throw your ass out. Mm-hmm. They will they will cancel each other. That's that is that is uh, some weird stuff there. So anyway, having said all that, the reason it's so important is both because we need to spread a real principled message. But also, strategically speaking, as far as gaining votes, getting media attention, convincing donors to come over, all of these were ways of earning support. You're not doing it if that's your mojo. If you're saying, I'm kind of like that party and I'm kind of like this party, it doesn't work. I would argue that the reason Gary Johnson's campaign imploded in 2016 was not because he forgot the name of a town in Syria. Mm. It was because when he did forget the name of a town in Syria, when he did make that mistake, as politicians do, right? Politicians make mistakes. 100%. I I wish that weren't true, but politicians (laughs) are humans and humans make mistakes and politicians are as bad as any. So they're gonna make mistakes. The problem is that when he made that mistake, he had not given people a reason to hang on to him. Mm. And it proved that his support, which had made it to double digits in the polls. Think about that. What an opportunity squandered. When he made it to double digits in the polls, it proved to be built on sand. Mm. It just completely slid out from under his feet because people had not been given a reason to hang on to him. Contrast that. With Donald Trump. <laughs> Say what you will about the Donald. And I've got no patience for the guy. And I suspect that no one in your audience does either. Right. Indeed, I was in uh, New York in the 80s. So I got all kinds of reasons to dislike the guy and plenty of history to look back on. <laughs> I, I have no patience for him whatsoever. But you have to admit that when he said. Basically. I could probably go out into Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and not lose a lot of support. You have to admit that he might not be completely wrong, Mm. right? Indeed, he's been indicted a couple of times now with a couple of more coming and his popularity continues to go up. People know why they dislike him. People know why they like him. They're going to hang on to him. I'm not mm. suggesting that we run a Trumpian campaign, that we run around insulting people and act stupid, act like a populist and give up on our, our libertarian principles. That would be a bad idea. But what I am suggesting is that you need to convey to people what it is that you stand for. If I'm right that most Americans have a libertarian streak, they will rally around you. They will find you. They will find your flag if you put it in the ground and you raise it high enough so that they can see it. They will rally around these ideas, but you have to be absolutely clear on what it is that you represent and give people a reason to hang on to those so that when certain things happen, they don't just all disappear. And I think that that's why Mm -hmm. the Gary and campaign imploded in 2016. Yeah, and I think it also kind of showed how much power the TV media had back then. Because if you asked 99% yeah. of 
citizens of the United States what Aleppo was, they couldn't tell you what or where it was. They wouldn't even know it was a city. And so, like, agreed. The, the the media spun it to where, and it was also, I mean, it was just a setup. And question. the, the media told about, you this was important and that he was an idiot. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened, which actually leads me to my next question, which is RFK Jr. has been getting tons of interviews and seems to be running a campaign that is completely different than either of the mainstream parties have run in the past. Yeah. Um, he, he seems to be going on a, t like taking advantage of the podcast scene. That yeah. seems to be like his thing now. His stick. Well, yeah. I, I, I think that that's smart. I mean, I do that too. You know, I do, uh, I average more than a podcast a day. Nice. Um, I think that that is the way to go. Mm. Both uh, for the reason that you pointed out that the mainstream media is mainstream, mm. right? Anything that runs across the mainstream, the, what, what was formerly the mainstream beliefs, uh, they're just not having it. They'll, they'll run you down in front of your face as well as behind your back, but also because they're just becoming less important. Mm. You know, the way to get more attention is to, is to do the podcast thing. Uh, it's, it's bits and pieces and chunks here and there. It, you All know, right. you can't just make nice with three networks and think your job is done. Uh, that does sound fun and easy, but that's not how the way the world works anymore. And it, and it shouldn't, it never should have worked that way. Mm. Remember that if, if you go earlier than, than the television age, if you go back to the newspaper age, it was in bits and pieces. You had to make nice with a thousand newspapers. You couldn't just make nice with, uh, three television networks. It's it's weird, and I do believe that even twenty five years from now, we'll look back on the television age and say that was that was that was weird. That was yeah. weird, and and we're better off having uh, outlived that. And that's not to say that cable stations don't have their influence and and are not important, because as you know, several programs remain somewhat mm -hmm. important, uh, diminishingly so. I heard that uh, CNN uh, screwed up so bad over the past two months that they're probably up for sale. That's a weird story too, right? Right. <laughs> That's a weird story. So, you know, whatever. So I, I like RFK's strategy. By the way, I like his disruptiveness generally. You know, the reason mm -hmm. he's done so well in the polls is because nobody wants to take on the president of the United States which is a really sad commentary on the power of the incumbency. Mm. If, if you fear taking on Joe Biden, there is something wrong in this world, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> in, in, in what world is that guy intimidating? It, that is just a matter of the incumbency. And, and I get it. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that they're being stupid. I, I do understand that, that so many people are all in on just maintaining uh, the Joe Biden administration. I, I fear for their strategy that they will be proven wrong in relatively short order. It's not clear that he's healthy enough even to make it to uh, election day, much less four years beyond that. So we may have some more candidates coming in, but I do like RFK's disruptiveness. Uh, I wish he were more libertarian. He's not, he's a statist. I get yeah. that. He's a bit of a populist. He's a good government type. You know, he's pissed. He wants reform. Good for him. But the reason he wants it is because he wants government to work better. 
You know, he's not saying less regulation. He's saying better regulation. And on, on some level, you got to respect that. I mean, as Democrats go, good for him, right? But I think that most uh, most Americans will come to understand the difference. I completely agree. Yeah, he is definitely making waves. And it's interesting, you know, him the idea of him not getting any debates and not obviously i mean he's likely not going to get the democratic nomination so there's word of him maybe running as an independent so what would you think of having like two major parties then the libertarian party and an independent and then all the other parties behind like does that make things easier or harder i i i don't know the answer to that Mm. um you know, the, the knee-jerk reaction is that it makes it harder because he, he might suck up some of the enthusiasm that is the anti-duopoly enthusiasm. But he's not that different from the Democratic Party that he's going to suck up all of it. And it might loosen things up. Uh, you know, it might shake some uh, commitments off the tree uh, from the mainstream media that they would be forced to have a look at something besides the duopoly so that there are necessarily some pluses and some minuses. The one thing I would remind everyone is that something weird is going to happen. We just don't know which weird thing. (laughs) If you think about, you know, because everyone says, oh, you know, you don't have a chance or this isn't going to happen or that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. It's all bullshit. Mm. Something weird is going to happen. Either Joe Biden is going to be elected president of the United States at his age with his relative, and I don't mean this to sound personal, his relative feeble-mindedness. That would be weird. I mean, here's a guy who has not had principles his whole life, who was, to be be fair, not the sharpest knife in the drawer when he was 39. For that guy to be reelected would be weird. Yeah. For Donald Trump Mm. to be reelected... That would be weird, too. I mean, here's a guy about whom, and and this can be said for Joe Biden as well, most of the people in their respective parties prefer that someone else be the nominee. Mm. That's a weird thing. Now, Donald Trump is clearly number one with more than half of the support, but generic polls say if you had a choice between being represented by someone else who was Mr. Wonderful or Donald Trump, you'd pick someone else who's Mr. Wonderful. And the same thing in the Democratic Party. Mm. And Donald Trump is weird. He's a weird character. He's obviously an unethical character. He's a populist. He's uh, He also is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. For that guy, <laughs> under indictment, uh, crimes committed, Some are, you know, some of these allegations, I think, are stupid. Uh, They're obviously politically motivated. I'll give him that. But to be honest, this this, uh, alleged uh, sexual assault in the department store that the civil trial found him liable for, I thought that was, personally, this is just me speaking, personally, I found that disturbing. I thought that was kind of a big deal, particularly in this day and age. Uh, I've got an ethical problem with that, right? <laughs> um, you know, you taking documents home and you make sure that no one else sees them. You know, I could go this way on, on, on that kind of crap. But the sexual assault thing, I find that 
fundamentally and a very fundamental ethical level to be very, very disturbing. If that guy is elected, that's a weird thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So something or an independent or I will be elected. Those are four weird things, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) Those are four weird things, but something weird is going to happen. I like something weird is going to happen. We don't know which weird thing, but the idea of, well, you know, weird things don't happen. It'll turn out like it. No, 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 no. That is no longer an argument. Something (laughs) odd is going to happen. We just don't know. We just don't know which one. (laughs) I like that a lot. I mean, being libertarian, we're just naturally weird. So that kind of jives with our whole vibe. So. Hey, we're the king of weird things happening. (laughs) That's perfect. Um, Before we get out of here, I want to know top three things that you would do on the campaign trail and then top three things that you'd want to begin immediately upon gaining the presidency. Uh, That's a great uh, pair of questions. Can I go backwards? Uh, Top three things you want to do when you're in office. Um. You want a deep six uh, executive orders. So the mm. day after the election, you're putting a couple of young attorneys in charge of reviewing every executive order with the idea of, of reversing each and every single one of those um, like and sending, this, sending the signal to the Hill. Some of these are going to be delayed. You know, we might not want to shut them down uh, you know, January 21st, some of these may require a year's heads up mm-hmm. to the Hill that if, if you're in love with any of these, this is your 12 month warning. Uh, you better do something to save them because we're setting the timer, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing you got to do. The other thing you got to do as soon as uh, the election is over is recruit a lot of libertarian minded individuals. They don't have to be registered libertarians. It would be great if they were. And you need several hundred of them. You'd prefer to have all 4,000. That's the number of appointments. But you need at least several hundred hardcore libertarians to run the agencies that you need to winnow down, that you need to shrink so that you can eventually move legislation to sunset them. Mm. I spend a lot of time talking about ending the Fed. Uh, I believe that we need to get rid of the IRS Yes, to starve the federal government, but not merely for that reason, but because to the extent to which the federal government needs to raise money, it needs to go to the states to do so. Uh, States need to represent us. That's just one example. But there are agencies that we need to get rid of. A lot Mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. And as anyone who spent as much time as I have in Washington knows that you can't get rid of even a function, much less an entire agency, unless you shrink it down to be as irrelevant as possible first. Mm. And that takes leadership inside of each one of those agencies to winnow them down, to shrink their budgets, uh, to stop the block grants, for example, in the case of the Department of Transportation, Department of Education. You need to shut down a lot of crap so that a year or two, or unfortunately, possibly three years later, uh, you can move legislation to, uh, to get rid of those. So that's a that's a bit of a a project. And then in terms of foreign policy, which is an area where the president has a tremendous amount of discretion. 
we need to make a series of phone calls that first week to give people the heads up that we understand that we've made commitments. We have treaty obligations. And so there are certain things we can't shut down in a matter of hours, but this Mm -hmm. is your heads up. Uh, The United States uh, foreign policy is no longer going to be centered on the idea that we believe that NATO is in our interest. We're going to start taking steps to get out of NATO and that means that if you, if you and your population, Mr. European leader, Madam European leader, if you and your nation remain paranoid of a Russian invasion, I, I, I would not recommend that, remaining mm-hmm. paranoid of a Russian invasion. But you do you, right? If you truly believe that, then this is your 12 to 18 month heads up. It's time for you to start spending you know, two and a half, three, three and a half percent of your GDP on on defense because we're not going to be there to back you up. That's one example. As another example, uh, we're going to be cutting a very clear edge regarding Taiwan. Uh, we are not going to be pursuing strategic ambiguity. We're going to let people know where we stand. And the first people that need to be told that are the investors in Taiwan. If you have built a chip plant in Taiwan based on the idea that the United States would always be there to bail you out, it's time to rethink. Uh, you might want to invest in Milwaukee, right? Uh, can I? Can I? Basically, the same thing. <laughs> can I? Can I interest you in Seattle? Um, because investing in Taiwan is not the same thing defense-wise. The United States does not believe that it is in its interest to go to war over Taiwan mm. uh, and we will not be snookered into, we will not be intimidated by strategic supply lines into thinking otherwise. And the reason we got ourselves into this Meshugana is because we were not clear with people from the get go. And, and we let investors believe that it was a good idea to build these factories there because they would have us protection. And that that's on. That's a mistake that we made, and we need to start unwinding that. So that's uh, that's a third thing that needs to be done right away. On the campaign trail, you asked. Yes. Uh, you have to buy advertising loud and early. If you have six hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you're doing something wrong. That has mm. to be spent loud and has to be spent early. You need to to give notice that you're running a campaign based on transformational ideas that you're differentiating completely from the Republicans and Democrats, that this is a story that needs to be told. This is uh, an underdog story with credibility. Mm. And I would, as a, as a second thing, in addition to bold, loud, early advertising, I would pursue the strategy that you put your finger on of a tremendous number of podcasts, uh, a great deal of expenditure. There is some pay to play. I recognize that. So you're going to have to potentially spend some money, but you need to participate with the online uh, forums and not depend on the mainstream media and leverage that against the mainstream media to take notice and to give us a look. I do believe that the credibility and professionalism of our campaign is going to earn a lot of look from a lot of media outlets, donors, voters, because remember, a lot of people still view the presidential race as a competition among individuals. 
not mm -hmm. merely a competition among philosophies. So if they can't look at you and say, I could at least imagine that gal or that guy being qualified potentially to go all the way, they're not going to bother paying attention, right? right? So you need to hit hard the idea of having the background in public policy and public service that allows me to talk about ending the Fed, uh, changing the way we budget, criminal justice reform, changing the way we manage police, uh, changing the school system. So much of these things are outside the direct control of the presidency, but we need to talk about these things because we need to show leadership uh, as a matter of uh, principle. And people will recognize that they too have a libertarian streak and that's how they will rally around you. So, you know, those are some of the things that need to be done, I believe, on the, on the campaign trail as well. I love it. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, man. This has been great. Thank you. You've got Absolutely. a great show and I'm just so pleased to have been able to, to be a part of it. Thank you. Absolutely. What, uh, where can people find you? What, uh, what are your links, your, your handles? All you want my physical that. address? You want people to drive up? Uh, I live I would, in Virginia. They can I would prefer not I, text no, me no, in no. advance. So I can make sure that the beer is cold. Um, <laughs> go to the website, go to Mike Tremont.com. You have okay. to spell it right though. There's two A's in Tremont, right? M I K E T E R M W A T. MikeTremont.com or, or goldnewdeal.org. Don't go to mm -hmm. goldnewdeal.com. They'll try to sell you something, um, <laughs> which is not a bad idea, but uh, um, I, I'm okay with buying gold, but uh, it's the wrong website. So go to goldnewdeal.org and read about our platform. Drop me a line. Um, you know, if you want to volunteer for the campaign, uh, we're, we're building that out. We've got important projects that people are working on. In addition to the professional staff and the advisory board and that kind of thing, we can always use uh, volunteers who feel like uh, playing a role. Uh, and, you know, if anyone has a few dollars in their pocket that, you know, are really annoying them and they need to get rid of it, you can do that at the website as well. So none of, none of this stuff comes free, right? It's all a bit of a lift, and so we welcome participation in any form. You're darn right. Well, Mike, thanks again. And everybody out there, thank you all for watching. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, um, go to lpgeorgia.com. Um, you can also email me at podcast at lpgeorgia.com and go to Mike's website. Check out his stuff, goldnewdeal.org. Um, yeah. Make sure to tune in every Thursday night for Liberty Libations and uh, every – well, once a week, new free Georgia podcast. Until next time, thank you all for watching. Peace.